welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 17th of December, 2011. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. I know it's been a while since I have been able to put one out. I have been able to do some armed ape ones, and we've got some good feedback today. Uh, Before we jump in with the show proper, I would like to uh, take a moment to thank everybody that has donated to the show. It's been very generous and a very humbling experience uh, to actually think that people out there like the show enough and like, uh, I guess, you know, me enough to go ahead and uh, send in their hard-earned money. Kind of speaking on that, uh, on that related note, I guess, I did go ahead and put a couple of uh, donate buttons. Well, I put one on each site. for a PayPal donation thing. So if you'd like to, to send a donation, you can go to the uh, either website, either Firearms Cafe, or you can go over to The Armed Ape, and uh, there's a, a, a donation button up at the top. And if you feel so inclined, you can do that. Uh, but no, it is, if you do, it's very appreciated. Uh, even if you don't, I still appreciate you guys as listeners and the, the time that you elect to spend with me. Uh, so again, thank you so much for, uh, for that. Um, if you would like to contact the show, there's a couple of different ways that you can do so. You can either use uh, the voicemail, which is 206-745-2731, area code 206-745-2731. Or if you would like to uh, record uh, MP3 or a WAV file and send that in to me uh, via email, or if you just want to go ahead and do a, a regular email and I can read it out for you, you can send that to firearmscafe at gmail.com. Also, of course, on any of your feedback, if there's any part of it that you don't want uh, mentioned on the show or you don't want your name mentioned or, or where you're from, that type of thing, uh, just go ahead and let me know and I can always uh, edit that stuff out. Uh, let's see here. I think that's about it. Oh, one other thing. Uh, if you do have a little bit of extra time, if you could go over and uh, leave a review over on iTunes, I do think it helps. Uh, maybe one of these days if we can get enough reviews and ratings, um, maybe I'll be able to get on the front page. You know, I, I, I guess with that stuff, with, you know, with the iTunes things, I, I don't really know how much that helps. I do think it helps to have a bunch of reviews from you guys to where if somebody who is maybe new to uh, gun culture or new to the type of shows that, that uh, I'm a part of or that uh, we're a part of, I guess, as a whole with the Gun Rights Radio Network, uh, I, I think if they can see that this thing has a bunch of reviews, then they'll say, well, I'll give it a chance. Uh, so again, if you can have, if you have a little bit of extra time, I, I know it may not be able to do that around the holidays or something, but maybe during the new year. Uh, we can get a couple more reviews up there. I, like I said, I think I've got 51 ratings. The actual written reviews, I'm not sure how many I have. Um, I'd like to be able to, uh, to get the written reviews up to at least 100. Um, whether that ever happen or not, I don't know. But it would be kind of neat to, uh, to be able to do that. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, let me uh, play a couple quick promos here. And then when we come back, we'll kind of get started and jump in uh, uh, with the show here proper. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. One show thingy at a time or something like that. I don't know. This is Alex Addicts from the Practical Defense Podcast. I invite you to check out my new book called Practical Home Security, A Guide to Safer Urban Living. 
It's available now in Dead Tree Paperback, Kindle, Nook, and iTunes editions. Details and link are available from alexhaddix.com book. Remember, nothing says I love you like a book on practical home security next to a box of jacketed hollow points. You can hear Gun Rights Radio Network on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Gun Rights Radio Network shows can be found under sources. Okay. Let's go ahead and jump right in. The, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the nat- uh, excuse me the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with this. Uh, this has been something that's going on. Uh, they they sort of pass this thing every every year. Um, has to do basically with um, you know appropriations and things like that. So it's one of those things that's going to be one of these must pass type deals. Uh, and they've been doing this for what 47, 48 years now. So it's it's the uh, it's not something that just has arrived in the last, you know, five or ten years or something like that. Unfortunately for us, what happened with this one is they uh, they basically have started to squash the Fourth Amendment. And uh, I tell you what, before I go any further, let's go ahead and I'll pay. Oh, excuse me, I'll play. I'm kind of mumble mouth here today. I'll play a clip from the john uh from the daily show which is uh hosted by john stewart i'm sure most of you guys are pretty familiar with him his politics of course i don't agree with but he when he's right he's right and uh you know he's he's much more of a, of a liberal he has several leanings that i do agree with and several that i don't um you know i, I think that he's probably in favor of things like redistribution of wealth and and uh, uh but you know he's also for a lot of the things that I support which is you know being he's not as pro liberty as I am of course but uh you know he supports a lot of a lot of the things like protecting individual rights and that the individual should have a say and the individual should not be discounted um although when it comes to certain uh, fiscal social things he seems to think that the individual doesn't have much of a choice or a right and that the individual meaning you and i should support other people who don't want to work or who don't want to provide for themselves or take responsibility but anyway i'm kind of getting off on a tangent so uh i'll go ahead and play that uh clip from his show now of course it was on december the 7th when i played when uh when he recorded that which was also the anniversary of pearl harbor um, and at the time, and he'll address it sort of at the end, uh, Obama was saying that they were promising that they were going to veto, uh, part of, part of the bill that was in there. Um, and basically just to kind of boil it down in a nutshell, what, what it was saying, uh, certain provisions in here were saying that basically that if you were suspected of being a terrorist, even if you're an American citizen, you can just be swooped up, taken away. You could end up in places like Gitmo, or you could end up in any other place where they want to house you. And you're going to have no access to legal counsel. You'll have no due process. You'll have no ability to redress the government for your grievances. 
So you lose your First Amendment, you lose your Fourth Amendment um, because you are being subject to search and see, uh, illegal search and seizure. Or, and uh, you could also probably make the case that uh, what you would be subjected to would also kind of fall under, um, what would it be, the Eighth Amendment, which says excessive bail shall not, excuse me, shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel or unusual punishments inflicted, which if they're yanking you away and not giving you any kind of uh, ability to plead your case or to have things be out in the open, uh, you are being punished. Um, there were some things in there that were kind of waivers, uh, but a lot of the language also said things like that you could be detained indefinitely as long as there were hostilities going on. Well, since they're fighting terrorism, let's say that if Al-Qaeda goes away or the Taliban goes away, well, what if there's some other extreme group that is doing something in Egypt or Libya or some other place and they're using, they're employing terrorism, could they say, well, hey, look, terrorism is still going on, there's still threats to the country, so even though the hostilities ended in Iraq or ended in Libya, there's this other stuff going on here in Egypt, and so we're still going to hold you because you are still a threat. So realistically, you could basically have a life sentence. So anyway, let me go ahead and uh, uh, play the thing from, uh, from John Stewart. December 7, 2011. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with John Stewart. Welcome to The Daily Show. My name is John Stewart. We got a show tonight for you. Let's start in Washington, where last week, the Senate passed the 2011 Defense Appropriations Bill, which authorizes all the money for our armed forces by a whopping 93 to 7. Of course, the Defense Appropriations Bill, it's one of those must-pass pieces of legislation. Every year, you always see some crazy provision someone sneaks in there. Like, in 2007, it was intelligent clothing. We were going to pay to develop clothing that detects chemical attacks. In 2009, it was Hawaiian healthcare networks. <laughs> and, of course, last year, uh, the flying bulldozer. It's unnecessary. Let's see what wacky provisions got folded into this year's bill. The provisions authorize the indefinite military detention of American citizens who are suspected of involvement in terrorism, even those captured here in our own country, in the United States, which I think should concern each and every one of us. Yes. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> that is somewhat concerning. A, a bill that allows the government to lock up an American citizen indefinitely without a trial. Thus, apparently nullifying the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. I can see why seven senators voted against it. Um, I would have thought we'd had like nine or Baker's dozen, but all right. Um, can only imagine, though, the Senate debate on the bill was pretty pitched. We have approximately a half hour on each side. I'm wondering how much uh, Senator Graham needs. Ten minutes? Is that too much? Five minutes? Could you do five minutes? Seven. Uh, we have, I think, seven speakers on this side. Okay, I'll try to be quick. Try to do eight minutes? Would that be yeah, all? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to do as quick as I can. I can eliminate that freedom in six minutes. I can eliminate that freedom in five. 
Eliminate that freedom. Each side in this debate had half an hour. For the debate on eliminating one of the most basic protections of citizenship, we require at least, at least the running time of two broke girls. <laughs> Including commercials, this is not a banana republic. Would it be enough time to make the case against the bill? Rand Paul of Kentucky, go! Detaining citizens without a court trial is not American. Oh, I didn't even click the start button yet. <laughs> well, that's a pretty persuasive case against. What's the case for? The senator from Kentucky wants to have a situation prevail where people are released and go back in the fight and kill Americans. That's, he's right, he's entitled to that opinion. <laughs> yes, that's what he wants. That is the Jewish grandmotheriest argument I have ever heard for indefinite detention of American citizens. The senator from Kentucky wants that uh, bad people should be able to kill us. He's entitled to his opinion. I, I think they shouldn't, but what do I know? I'm just, I'm just an old man with anger management issues. I don't know. Speaking of Jewish grandmothers, what does Senator Carl Levin think of this bill? Al-Qaeda's at war with us. They brought that war to our shores. Do you think we want to keep Americans in prison forever? Of course we don't. This hurts us more than it hurts them. <laughs> All right, let's hear a less uh, Jewish argument. We're facing an enemy, not a common criminal organization, who will do anything and everything possible to destroy our way of life. So we're going to destroy it before they can get their hands on it. You can take away our lives, but only we can take away our freedom. Look, we have been putting up with this cynical fear-mongering for 10 years now. We built up a tolerance. If you want us to punt our right to due process, we're going to need a much more pure cut of condescension. When you join Al-Qaeda, you haven't joined the Mafia. You're not joining a gang. You're joining people who are bent on our destruction and are a military threat. Al-Qaeda wishes it killed as many Americans as our gangs do. <laughs> they wish they were that good at killing Americans. Since 9-11, our gangs have killed like 10,000 Americans. It's almost like Lindsey Graham is trying to get the heat off of gangs. Zoom in on his face. Son of a bitch! I knew it! Graham! Lindsey Graham is a closeted gangbanger. I'm not suggesting he bangs gangs, I'm saying. Isn't there anyone who can derail this one-way train to Gitmo? You know, I seem to recall a promising young man who once made an eloquent case for our values. We're not a country that runs prisons, which locks people away without ever telling them why they're there or why, what they're charged with. We're not a nation that locks people up without charging them. But I'm going to work to change that. <laughs> no, there's not. Remember that guy? I love that guy. I think he was, I think he was uh, in something recently. The White House. <laughs> I'm sure that his press secretary can explain exactly why our president isn't going to sign this authoritarian piece of crook. 
any bill that challenges or constrains the president's critical authorities to collect intelligence, incapacitate dangerous terrorists, and protect the nation would prompt uh, his senior advisors to recommend a veto. Whether the challenges or constraints, <laughs> well, you got that? Obama is going to veto this thing, not because he objects to the executive branch having near infinite power to detain whoever it wants, but because he objects to the executive not having totally infinite power. <laughs> Apparently, there is a provision in the bill that says the president must detain foreign terror suspects in only military custody unless he has a waiver. He's got to issue a waiver. The White House is going to veto this because they don't want to do any paperwork. <laughs> To be fair, if you do find yourself suddenly and perhaps capriciously imprisoned under this bill, you will have an opportunity once a year to go before a committee and have your indefinite detention status reviewed. And B, they couldn't hold you indefinitely just until the end of hostilities. <laughs> so when the war on terror ends and, and terror surrenders, <laughs> and is no longer available as a human emotion, <laughs> you're free to go. Now, you might be thinking, well, this law in no way applies to me because I'm not a terrorist. Well, luckily, you don't have to be. You just have to be suspected of supporting or aiding one. And you may be thinking that that in no way applies to you because you don't go to terrorist meetings or send terrorist mail. Well, support's a pretty broad term. There are laws on the books now that characterize who might be a terrorist. Someone missing fingers on their hands is a suspect, according to the Department of Justice. Someone who has guns, someone who has ammunition that is weatherproofed, someone who has more than seven days of food in their house can be considered a potential terrorist. More than seven days of food? My my beans, my, my beloved beans. Maybe not now, but in the future, executive power like this could be exercised very broadly. A completely innocent person who may have, as a child, attended a madrasa or later attended events with members of a known terrorist group or uh, sat with radical clerics and to this day associates with a man without all his fingers that person could be subject to indefinite... Oh, my God! President Obama! It's a trap! We'll be right back. So, again, you know, he makes a lot of really good points. Uh, you know, like I said before, when the guy is right or right, whether you like him or hate him, doesn't matter. Um... I don't know really what disturbs me more, and there's a lot of things that really disturb me about this particular thing. The fact that only seven out of 93 senators voted against it. The fact that the media really isn't reporting it. This should be front page news on every newspaper. It should be rolling around the clock on all the news stations. Um... This is the destruction of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how else you could really look at it. And from the media's perspective, I don't understand why they're not out literally screaming and, and, and uh, figuratively li uh, um, rioting in the streets. 
Because if you think about it, if the government can just say, oh, well, your Fourth Amendment is now gone, why can't they say your First Amendment is now gone? You better not ever write anything that's critical of the government. Uh, and so now you're going to, all stories will now have to uh, pass muster and will have to go through um, the newly, uh, the newly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the newly initiated, you know, press bureau. Uh, you, you know, it has to go through here and it has to go through all these bureaucracies. And if we see something in that story that we don't like or that we just don't want getting out there, well, then we're not going to, that that's not going to be allowed. We'll censor it. Uh, so, Again, you guys just do a little bit more research on this stuff. Be aware of what's going on. Um, you know, one more thing, and uh, we'll kind of jump off this subject here. In that John Stewart clip, he had, had talked about that there were seven senators who originally voted against it. And those seven senators are Coburn, uh, Harkin, uh, Merkley, Paul, Sanders, and Wyden. Um, and I think... Uh, later on, uh, after they did sort of the the revised version, uh, there were maybe, I think, six additional senators that came in, which would have been Cardin, uh, DeMint, Durbin, uh, Crapo, or I guess that's his name, C-R-A-P-O, looks like Crapo, but <laughs> I don't think that's how you pronounce it, uh, Franken, um, who else? Uh, and Reich. So there was, I think, th again, I think there was 13 altogether. So again, those names would be kind of in alphabetical order. You'd have like Cardin, Coburn, we'll just say Crapo, DeMint, Durbin, Franken, Harkin, Lee, uh, Merkley, Paul, Reich, Sanders, and Wyden. And what I'll do is I got this off of a website called Lawfare. Uh, lawfareblog.com and I'll put a link to that into the uh, show notes so you can go over and, and uh, check that stuff out there's some also some interesting information on there too as well uh, but again just be aware of what's going on uh, and, and uh, be aware of what's happening now in the last few shows we've been talking about again sort of the militarization of the police and I got a couple of emails I got a uh, email from a gentleman named Jonathan, and he sent in a thing talking about a, a police officer who got a award, uh, basically for valor. And uh, Jonathan was saying, "Well, it looks like this guy got an award for basically doing kind of what he was supposed to do as a as a police officer. Uh, that he did what he was supposed to do." And the situation was, and I'll kind of paraphrase it here a little bit, was that there was an officer. Uh, by the name of uh, Lawrence Loney, L-O-N-E-Y. And he was given the gold award for valor. And what had happened was is he had done a traffic stop, and the guy that he, uh, this is according to uh, the, the write-up, I guess, that he got, uh, the guy that he stopped supposedly was a uh, CCW holder, and uh, also was maybe a Iraq veteran and then was starting to blame uh, later in later things started to said that he you know, was having like flashbacks or something uh, or post-traumatic stress disorder for to explain kind of his, his actions. But anyway, uh, once the guy got pulled over, he got out, identified himself as a uh, uh, that he had a concealed weapon shortly after that, for whatever reason we've done. And I don't know uh, the guy starts shooting at the police officer at 
Loney. Uh, the guy puts himself in, uh, gets around to the other side of the vehicle, to the passenger side of the vehicle, returns fire. Um, when the suspect basically ran out of ammo, he dropped his weapon and surrendered. And then at that point, the police officer, Loney, didn't stop shooting and basically just held the guy at gunpoint until another officer arrived at the scene and took the guy, uh, took the suspect into custody. And he got an award for that, basically saying uh, that, hey, you did the right thing. And in Jonathan's email, like I said in his, in his email, he said that he uh, basically was getting rewarded for doing something, or awarded, I guess I should say, uh, for doing the right thing. And I, kind of, I, I I know where you're coming from on that, but I do think that this guy was in a uh, extraordinary circumstance, and I think that he did earn that award. What I would really like to see is that when an armed citizen, so that when you and I, uh, if we were ever in that situation, and and uh, we did we did sort of the same thing, that we would be able to get a citizen award from from the police that just recognizes it. And people, and some people out there would say, "Ah, what's well, a big deal? It's not, you know, are you are you kowtowing to them? Are you seeking favor of the police and it's, uh, the police departments?" And the answer to that would be no. But what I think what it would do is, if they were giving out awards to fellow citizens, not to civilians, don't don't get that mixed up. They are not military, and that's what one of the things we're talking about too is the militarization of the police. Uh, but when they they should give out those awards to fellow citizens because what that does is it it reinforces for them the fact that we as citizens just as as they are we have the right uh to to carry a firearm uh for defense of ourselves and in in uh, certain extreme cases the defense of others um so I, I think in that way that would be a good thing, but uh, I do think you know that, like I said, I do think the award is justified for the guy. So Jonathan, uh, I, I I'm pretty sure I see your point. Uh, so thank you for sending that in. I really appreciate it, and hope to hear from you again soon. Now I also have another email, and this is from AJ, and AJ's from in New Jersey, and uh, he provides several links for us. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read his email. And he writes, Tony, I've never written before, but I enjoyed your commentary on the 60 Minutes NYPD piece, as well as your branching out into other areas of the militarization of the police. So I thought I'd comment. I live in New Jersey, and there have been some local newspaper articles that are related to the 60 Minutes story and expand on part of it. The NYPD apparently has an intelligence division that was trained by and works in conjunction with the CIA. They covertly observe ethics or excuse me, they covertly observe ethnic and other groups that they believe may pose some threat, even though there is no evidence of criminal activity. The articles were written when an NYPD surveillance team was discovered operating in a New Jersey city without the knowledge of New Jersey police or the FBI. I've included links for those articles below. I also threw in a bunch of articles I saw on the militarization of the police in general. Sorry for overwhelming you with links, but since you mentioned that you plan on covering this more in the future, I thought you might find it interesting. This is quite a topic, and you could go on for a while discussing it. It's alarming from a civil rights perspective. It's almost like the police now view everyone as a suspect. 
They just haven't caught you doing something yet. Regards, AJ in New Jersey. And then uh, the rest of his email, he gives several different links. So, uh, again, AJ, thanks for sending that in. I really appreciate that. And uh, any any extra information you have are, or uh, is always welcome on the show. Now, you know, once again, we're seeing overreach of uh, basically of Bloomberg. You know, he he's in charge of the police. Uh, the police chiefs and all those guys uh, in the upper command are basically serve at his pleasure. And I'm sure he knew about it, especially if they're going to go out of state. But we see this guy has no problem with going out of state. You know, he actually sent stuff, uh, sent his teams out here even to Arizona. You know, that's about as far away as you can get uh, from New York. So it doesn't surprise me that the NYPD is doing stuff and going beyond their, uh, their jurisdiction or their authority uh, that's been given to them by the people. Um, so... Um, our buddy Ken, who's uh, serving over in Afghanistan right now, he had sent me a, uh, a link on Facebook. And uh, as an aside, I'm, I'm really getting to hate Facebook. It's, they're changing it all the time. So why don't they just keep it super simple? I don't know. But anyway, uh, he sent me a link. And uh, the reason I hate it is because I can't find the link now. Uh, but anyway, the the thing was talking about how the military is giving surplus stuff to a lot of the local law enforcement uh, places, and they're just they're you know swooping them up, uh, you know certain equipment things that you would think well do, you know do these do these uh, uh, police agencies do they really need that type of equipment, uh, you know things like big assault vehicles and some other stuff like that. So anyway, I I would reference the article, but I can't, uh, and so I'm kind of having to go from knowledge of or, or re- remembering what that thing said. So, you know, one of the things we need to talk about and probably we need to discuss is when we're talking about the militarization of of the police departments, we also need to kind of define, well, what is the difference between a peace officer or a peacekeeper and somebody who is, is law enforcement? And if we were looking at, you know, something like the mob, if you said, well, organized crime has enforcers and you say well what do enforcers do well enforcers basically do whatever their boss tells them to do so if you're in the business of being a law enforcer um, to me what that says is that you are are no longer or your primary thing is no longer to be a peacekeeper your primary thing is no longer to try and make sure that uh, you're, you're keeping the peace in your community, that you're doing what's best for the community, that your your main focus and your main interest becomes the enforcement of rules and regulations. And that's when you really can start to lose discretion, things like that. So, um You know, again, if we kind of go and look back and we say, well, what does an enforcer do? And they, again, they do what the boss says. They don't think. They don't have discretion. They only do what they're told. And then if they end up doing something bad, they just have the, uh, they can use the justification of, hey, I was only following orders. And I think what we're seeing, not only with local law enforcement, but also with our federal government, is we're seeing 
that they they believe that they get their authority not from the people but simply because they exist themselves so you would say well uh, let's say the police or the or the feds can say well we can do something and you say why and they say well because we're the police that's why we can do it because we exist you know so uh not in the in the the uh they don't say well our authority comes from the people or society who say that uh we're going to give you the ability to you know carry a gun and go into certain places or to take away basically people's liberty uh, we're also going to give you the authority to be able to enter somebody's home, to do this, to do that, that other other citizenry cannot do. Um, and I think what's happening is that a lot of these places, and again, not only the local stuff but federal as well, see that they have authority simply because they exist. So we can do A, B, and C because we are the police. We can do A, B, and C because we are the FBI. We can do A, B, and C because we are the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Uh, and I think you really see that when you look at that agency, when you look at the ATF, when you look at all this, the uh, the rogue things that they're doing and have been doing and probably will continue to do in the future. Um so uh, you know uh, when when and when we look at what a what I would consider to be a peace officer you would say that all those things that the enforcer have or does not have or or cannot do or won't do that the peace officer will do so the peace officer will think about things the peace officer will try and be a, a part of the community the peace officer does have discretion and, and doesn't just do what they're told. And if they're told to do something that is unlawful, they won't. They'll say, no, I won't do that. That's not right. I'm not going to, uh, you know, go in and, and uh, because we want some information from this guy on a burglary, uh, we're not going to go in and, you know, beat him half to death. We're not going to stun gun him 15 times. We're not going to... Uh, you know, kick him in the head. We're not, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so I think I think I'm going kind to. Of, I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be uh, for doing some kind of some further discussions. But uh, you know, a, a good example of the difference between maybe a peace officer in law enforcement again. If we look at something, and this is going to be kind of a maybe some of you might think it's kind of a dopey example, but so be it. If we look at the show, the Andy Griffith show, Andy Griffith, uh, who was the sheriff, uh, those guys were definitely, and, and Barney to a little bit lesser extent, uh, you could say that those guys were actually peace officers, especially Andy. And if you wanted to, if you just wanted to use them as an example, you would say that Andy was peace officer and Barney was more law enforcement because Barney was much more concerned with the what the book says and what the rules were uh, but even if you if you look at it in, in in a little bit broader terms even in with that show you could say a lot of times that when they would have outside law enforcement that would come in that those guys would be more law enforcement so they would have like the state police or the uh, you know the big shot detective that comes down from mount pilot who was basically throwing his weight around and saying you're going to do it this way and you're going to do it that way and those guys would be much more seen as law enforcement. And uh, at, at, in those instances, Barney would, 
again, be more of a peacekeeper. But even with him, even though he was kind of uptight about stuff and had kind of a stick up his butt about a lot of stuff, Barney was still a part of the community. Barney still cared about the people uh, that they were policing, that they were there to serve. Uh, and I really think that both he and uh, and uh, Andy on the show, you know, in the context of the show, again, would say that they were there to... Uh, to help people, to help serve them, and to do what's in the best interest for the community. Uh, there were a lot of times in several instances on the show where he would do things where he would let, he would do things like, you know, like work release or something like that. Uh, and then somebody would usually bitch and complain about it, but, you know, he was the sheriff, and so he was able to say, no, we'll, we'll do it this way or that way. Uh, and so he he took his oath of office and what he was doing there seriously. And I know it can kind of be kind of a uh, an odd example maybe to use that show. Um, but you contrast that with something like, uh, you know, what we've got in, in the real world. Uh, and I think we'd probably be better off if we had more people that were like Andy and Barney and uh, less people that were that saw themselves as being separate and above the community and that that they were by nature of their job somebody who feels that that they are truly a different class of citizen than the rest of us. And I've talked about this before on previous shows how that the uh I think an example I gave one time was there was a uh a Christmas play or something at our my daughter's preschool a long time ago, and I was up in the in the balcony in the church, um, looking down, and there was a guy who was a police officer who was in there and had, of course, had his gun with him, had his taser with him, had his pepper spray, all his junk with him, and he was not there uh, in in the role of a police officer. He was there in the role of a, of a father and a parent, and he wanted to see his child, you know, perform in the little pageant that they were doing, much like I did. But, of course, because... Uh, now, this was a private... At the, at the time, it was a... Uh, I guess you call it a private school, but it was all... And it was a, a church school, a Lutheran school. Um, so it was a church and the school together. But at the time, I would not be allowed to to be armed there. Uh, I would not be allowed to carry a gun, but he, as a police officer, was able to do that, even though he wasn't there in the commission, really, of his duty. Uh, so uh, in that instance, and in that example, he, as a as a citizen, has more civil rights and more liberty than I did. Uh, and... Uh, Again, even if he was totally off duty, he would be able to go in there and carry, uh, even if he was just picking his kid up off of school and he wasn't in uniform. I would not be able to. I would not be able to go into uh, the building uh, and and pick them up because it's a school, so it's going to be a, a gun-free zone type thing. So anyway, I think what we'll do, um, let's see if we have any other uh, feedback for the show today, and uh, let me pull this up here. And I think you know, I think I I do have a couple of uh, things. And after this stuff, we're going to go ahead and kind of wrap it up. Um, I have a, a thing from Brad about the Glock. Uh, 
member discount, and I'll go ahead and play that. And then I also have the the thing from the Road Gunner podcast. I got some uh, a, a bit of feedback from him, and so we'll go ahead and play that uh, after I play uh, Brad's stuff. So take it away, Brad. Hey, Tony, Brad over in West Michigan. Hey, man. Um, got some news today from Glock. I'm not sure if anybody uh, listens to your podcast would be interested in this or not, but it's kind of used to be where, you know, you could, if you were interested in buying a new Glock, you could go out and it's kind of a good idea to buy a membership to the Glock Sports or Glock Shooting, Sports Shooting Foundation, the GSSF. And I think it's like 30 or 35 bucks to become a member. But you get a nice discount on the pistol, so it always made sense. Become a member, buy the gun, save money. Well, they've made changes to the program, and you can no longer do that. Um, They're really getting away from that, uh, from people getting away with doing that. Not that people were getting away with something, but they don't want people to do that anymore. So now it appears that you have to be, um, if I'm reading this correctly, the discount is only available to people who have been a Glock, a GSSF member for more than 12 months consecutively. And I believe that goes the same with the family memberships as well. So if, you know, I took advantage of it on my last Glock purchase and it ended up saving me quite a bit of money. Disappointing to see that they've made these changes, but maybe understandably so. That's about it, brother. Take it easy. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, Brad, thanks for sending that in. Um, kind of in full disclosure, Brad had sent this in a while back, so I don't know if this stuff has changed. It seems like, though, maybe what they're wanting you to do is just to, to sort of every year uh, do that membership because they're going to say that no matter when you buy it, you have to have at least 12 months in. So I guess they want you to kind of do a recurring membership type thing, which, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, kind of like you were saying, you can kind of see why they're doing it. Uh, but it's just kind of too bad that they did a little bit of changes there, but who knows, maybe it's, maybe it's for the best, but, uh, anyway, again, thanks Brad for sending that in and, uh, we hope to hear from you again soon. All right, let's go ahead and let's hear from the unnamed trucker. Go ahead and take it away, Tut. And I call you Tut because the T unnamed you trucker T, T T-U-T, Tut. So here we're going to hear from Tut. Hey, this is, hey, Tony, this is the Unnamed Trucker from the Road Gunner podcast, and I just got done listening to episode 64, and I enjoyed it very much, and I wanted to say uh, thanks for the great work that you're doing, um, especially sensitive to the uh, homeland security issue that you were discussing. Uh, I've noticed a lot on the road today, much more often than I used to, seeing police officers doing searches of people that they pulled over on the side of the road, especially in the panhandle of Texas for some reason. And I've been out here for about 13 years now, and I don't know if it's just that I'm more sensitive to the issue and I'm noticing the searches or if I'm really actually seeing more searches. I I don't know, but it's not just Texas. It's uh, everywhere I go. I just happened to look over and see people pulled over on the side of the road, and for no particular reason, they seem to be being searched. And it's not a particular race of people, color, creed, religion, or whatever. Uh, I just seem to notice that. And 
wanted to put in my two cents as to some recommendations for you uh, in the AR versus AK argument. Uh, my answer would be Mini 14. That's right, the Ruger Mini 14 made in the United States right there in Arizona. And the reason I like the, the Ruger Mini 14 is for the same reasons you like the AK. Uh, simplicity of the platform is extremely rugged, Garand-style action. It's got uh, easily, easily reached safety right there in the trigger guard area. It's easy to break down. Uh, magazines are fairly cheap and plentiful, 20 and 30 round magazines. Uh, it's got a piston system that you look for in the a in like the AK, and it is uh, comes in several flavors. You can get it in 223, 556, and the regular Mini 14, and you can get a Mini 30 in the beloved 7.62 by 39 round. So you might want to take a look at that as an alternative, and it's a lot less expensive than AR. And uh, I I used to have one. Unfortunately, I don't have a safe at home right now, so I chose to sell it. But if I were to get another 223 rifle slash 556 NATO, I would get another Mini 14, and I think I would go with a nice tactical one, the black barrel and the flash hider. So that would be my choice as another thing to throw in there in that AR versus AK. Not argument, but discussion. So thanks again for the great job you do. If you want to check out my podcast, I don't mean to plug, but yeah, I am shamelessly plugging my own podcast here. Uh, check me out at roadgunner.net, and you can email me at roadgunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, Tony. appreciate it. Okay, Todd. Thanks for sending that in. hope to hear from you again soon. Uh, you guys should check out his podcast, which is the Road Gunner Podcast. You can find that over at part of the Gun Rights Radio Network, or you can find him over on iTunes. Uh, he's got an enjoyable show, easygoing guy, easygoing manner. Uh, I listen to it. I'm all caught up on his shows now. In fact, uh, one of the ones that I found extremely interesting was he talks to his father. He interviews his father for a little bit, and his father... Uh, has some interesting views, to say the least. But uh, I'll have you, again, go over there and listen to uh, his interview with his father. I forget the number of it, but if you go over to his uh, his site, you'll see it there. Now, a couple of interesting things about those uh, searches on the road, and uh, I'm sure you're maybe aware of, uh, Tut, but you're maybe aware of the TSA, who uh, you have pretty much the same opinion of them that I do, have their Viper things that are in, I believe in Tennessee and one other state, and I can't recall which other state off the top of my head. Uh, but basically they're going to do, uh, they're expanding uh, their presence by doing this stuff, and they're going to be doing random searches. I think it's only going to be of maybe of people like you, unfortunately, um, and not of, uh, of uh, non-commercial drivers, I guess you could say. Um, and I think maybe you even talked about this on, on uh, one of your shows. Uh, but a lot of this stuff, uh, oh, and kind of before I jump off the TSA uh, bandwagon here, they're also going to be starting to do things, I think, I want to say, in New Orleans uh, for the Saints games. I think they may be doing the security there. Uh, but a lot of this stuff seems like it's just more of getting people used to being treated like cattle, being manhandled, being groped, being told you're going to do this and you got to get used to following, you know, our orders and doing what we say. Uh, and if you don't, there's all these consequences, which a lot of times there are no consequences. They're just lying to you. Uh, but of course, it's not against the uh, 
it's not illegal for them to lie to you, but it sure is uh, if you know if you aren't exactly a hundred percent honest with them and blah blah blah. Uh, now, uh, getting over, getting back on the old AK versus AR type thing, uh, the the um, the Ruger uh, Mini fourteen and the thirty. I had looked at when I first was was looking at getting a rifle. And uh, I had I had gotten an AK already, and I and I liked it. And I was looking at getting a um, maybe a Mini 14 because I was looking for something for that 223 or the 556 round. And I thought, well, at the time they were going for around like maybe six seven hundred dollars. And if you wanted to get an AR that was kind of maybe kind of a little bit more tricked out and stuff, and you know had the hand guards and and maybe had you know a couple other things that you wanted on there. Uh, you know they were four or five hundred. You know in some cases about three to four hundred dollars, maybe five hundred if you're going all out. More expensive than something like that Ruger. Um, and I eventually elected to go. I think I mentioned that I uh, eventually got a Robinson um, XCR rifle, uh, and I like that rifle and everything, but. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later here. Um, Anyway, getting back to the whole Mini 14 and and the uh, Mini 30, one of the things that kept me from going that route was uh, the magazines at the time were only 10-round magazines. And there were some 20-round magazines floating around there, but they were basically like hen's teeth. It was very difficult to find them, and then you were going to pay a premium price for those. Uh, and there were, excuse me, there were some aftermarket magazines that were the, you know, 20 and 30 rounders, I guess, but they just weren't very reliable. Uh, and so eventually I went, I, again, I went with that Robinson XCR and, uh, in, instead of going with one of those, had I to do it over, you know, or if I was, I guess I should say if I was buying it now, uh, would I consider one of those? And I absolutely would. And I probably would get, would maybe really look really, really hard at what, at the, uh, at the mini 14, you know, there's a lot of accessories for it. The rifle itself has been around a long time. If you keep it in sort of its, its, uh, stock configuration, it doesn't look like an evil black rifle. Uh, and it's a pretty handy, it would be a pretty handy little truck gun or a gun to, uh, Maybe even a bedside gun or something like that, especially if you had frangible ammo in it, uh, would be maybe a really good one for home defense. Um, but it, you know, so again, yeah, that's a, an excellent recommendation on there. I would definitely take a look at that if somebody was wanting to get in or, or wanting to get into uh, the five five six round. Uh, and let's say they just were more comfortable with maybe a more of a traditional style rifle. Uh, so let's say somebody who had hunted all their life and was used to just that, that regular stock and, you know, wasn't a big fan of the pistol grip and things like that, that would be an excellent way to go. Um, also, like you mentioned, you can get like, there's several aftermarket things for it. You can make the thing as tricked out and tactical as you want. Um, so again, thanks for sending that in and hope to hear from you again soon. All right, guys, I think that is going to do it for today. We've yimmer-yammered and jibber-jabbered on long enough. Um, 
I don't know if I really had much more to say. I mean, I've got a lot more to say kind of with the militarization of the police and different articles and things like that, but uh, I don't know how much how much more I'm going to talk about that. I don't kind of want to start doing things where I'm kind of beating a dead horse and I, I may do kind of one more follow-up show because I do have some... Uh, uh, some follow-up things that I'd like to say, but I think I'm going to uh, draw it to a close for today. So I'd like to wish every one of you a Merry Christmas uh, or whatever holiday you happen to celebrate or not celebrate. So stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you again next time. Take care. Superhuman strength.